0: Father, we're so grateful for, for uh, the fact that we've been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's through uh, uh, his power and his life, Lord, that we're able to live righteously now in this life. So we're just so grateful for that, Lord, and uh, we ask you to, to bless this study today, uh, bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, it's in his name I pray. Amen Peter uh, Buttigieg, some of you might have heard of him already. He is a candidate for a uh, democratic candidate, candidate for the President of the United States. Uh, he's mayor of South Bend, Indiana uh, He's the darling of the media I mean he's really a they, they love him uh, he's his, his His face appeared on the cover of Time Magazine recently. Uh, He's been on all the talk shows. uh, uh, He's drawing large crowds uh, at his town hall meetings. He's raised more money than some of the more well-known candidates for uh, the presidency. And in the latest Iowa polls, he's right there at the top. Uh, And what might seem encouraging uh, to Christians is that he claims to be a born-again believer. But here's where it gets a little bit dicey. Uh, He's married to a man. Uh, And as far as the uh, people who are part of the progressive church, that really doesn't seem to faze them or bother them uh, that he is married to a man. Now, when I talk about the progressive church, and this is really where I'm heading uh, with his introduction. When I'm talking about the progressive church, who am I talking about? Well, there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon says. Uh, the pro- pro- progressive church has always been around. It's been called by other names. It's been called deism. It's been called existentialism. Right now it's being called the emerging church. Uh, it's called the liberal church. Uh, it's called, uh, at one time it was called neo-orthodoxy. Neo-orthodoxy, and uh, so so it's been around. There's always been a progressive church. Last month, in uh, the latest edition of Billy Graham's Decision Magazine, uh, there was an article there by Lisa Childers. I don't know if you get that magazine or not, but if you do, uh, take the time to read it. She gives lists five characteristics in her article that identify the progressive church. In other words, uh, if your church meets one of these criteria, then you're probably in a progressive church. Uh, One of those criteria is a lower view of the Bible. Uh, In other words, the Bible is not the inerrant word of God as we see it here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, It's not the authoritative word of God. Therefore, uh, it's Some of it is applicable to your lives, and some of it is not applicable to your lives. Uh, Another way you might realize that you're in a progressive church is when feelings and opinions trump the objective truth of the word. Uh, That means, and this is the third way you might know you're in uh, a progressive church, that the essential Christian doctrines, are open for interpretation, you know. So progressive Christians get to decide what's right or wrong in the Bible or how they want to interpret the Bible. And what they've come up with is they believe there's no hell. Uh, They believe there's no judgment for sin. Uh, And so they deem the church's position, historical position, on, on things like sex as archaic, And so they believe that the Bible needs to be reinterpreted to fit the modern culture. Uh, The other thing that they do, the other way you might know that you're in a progressive church is that they seem to redefine biblical terms, biblical terms like love, agape love, for example. Agape love, we see it biblically, and the way it's defined biblically is as self-sacrificial love. But in the progressive church, and I'm quoting here, she says it's a catch-all term for everything pleasant, everything affirming, everything tolerant, and everything non-confronted. So the Bible, biblical love, you don't really have biblical love if you confront people with their sin. And then uh, here's another way you might know you're in the progressive church Uh when the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now, there's nothing wrong with social justice. The Bible speaks of social justice. But in the progressive church, philanthropy and good works trumps the work of the cross. So your good works are more important than anything Jesus did for you on the cross. So when you start seeing those things in the church, and I, let me tell you, we're starting to see it everywhere in, in the church in the United States of America today and in Europe and everywhere across the world. When, when those things mark the church, uh, we're in trouble. And what, what basically the church is saying is, uh, in effect, that mankind and not God is the ultimate authority over what is good and bad and over who is good and bad. But I got news for mankind. Uh, Humans are badly mistaken if they think that's so. As Abraham's going to tell us in this text today in chapter number 18, the Lord is the judge of the whole earth. He determines what is good and what is bad. He determines who is good and who is bad. And one day, he's going to judge everything wicked and bad in this world, including wicked people. And here's what's so important about the area of Scripture we're in right now. Nowhere in the Bible do we get a better picture of the process of God's judgment than we do in this section of Scripture that we're looking at right now in Genesis in, in Abraham's life. And how does the process begin? How does God... What, what is God after? I mean, God created the heavens and the earth. We saw that in Genesis. But what is he after? He's after bringing a people to himself. He's a, after... He's actually after bringing his children to him. And uh, so how does that process begin? It begins by calling people out of this evil world. And that's exactly what he did when we first came upon this story of Abraham. He called him out of the land of the Ur of Chaldea. He called him to become a child of God. And and that's the same thing he does with each and every one of us. He calls us out of this wicked world. And how do we come out? How do we get out of this wicked world? Well, we get out by faith. Remember what we were told in uh, that, that classic verse in uh, chapter 15, verse 6? Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's how you get out of this mess. You want to get yourself out of this wicked world, out of this w- this being in the state of this wicked world. You've got to come out, and you don't come out by your good works and your philanthropy. You come out by faith. And now, why does he bring us out of this world? He brings us out of this world so he can give us back the wonderful life that he had created Adam and Eve for that they lost in the Garden of Eden. And, 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 And he intends wonderful things for us. We saw that back in chapter 18, verse 14. The Lord asked that rhetorical question. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? I mean, the Lord wants to do good things in our life. He doesn't hate people, God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He's going to judge wickedness, but he doesn't want to judge wickedness. He wants people to get saved, and he wants to do wonderful things in our lives. In today's lesson, we're going to see that he's, he's we're going to learn about the long suffering and mercy of God. I mean, how he waits and waits and waits on the wicked to repent. I mean, I, I mean, thank goodness he does that. I mean, he waited on me 40 years. And, 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 and when I was in total rebellion, and I mean, he could, should have. And in and, you know, and, and some people's eyes, I mean, he should have. And probably the angels' eyes destroyed me a long time before that. But he was long-suffering with me. He's been long-suffering with you. And he shows us great mercy in withholding his judgment as long as he possibly can because he wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to uh, eternal life. But when we get to the lesson next week, there is a limit to his long-suffering. There is a limit to his patience. And eventually, the wicked are going to be judged. And we're going to see that in the story of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah when he brings fire and brimstone down upon all of those cities in the Jordanian plain. But there's gonna, we're going to even learn another lesson about his grace after that. Even then, we will learn, and we're going to see it today, and we're going to see it next week when Lot is spared. Even when God judges the wicked, he knows how to protect the righteous. He does not judge the righteous with the wicked. He does not judge the righteous with the wicked. Get that down, and we'll, we'll see that lesson a little bit later here so let's go to verse 16 we were in chapter number 18 and let's let's see just how the judge of this earth operates we're going to see that and we've been seeing it so far we're going to see it a little bit more here today as we come to chapter number 18 so go with me to verse number 16 now now you got to go back remember the story these two angels three men came one was the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. It was a theophany. He came with two angels. And in Abraham's eyes, they appeared to be men. They came in the form of men. So angels can come in the form of a person. We know that from Hebrews. Uh, you know, forget not to entertain strangers because you very well might be entertaining an angel. That person that, that comes to your door very well, if it's a Jehovah's Witness, I'm telling you it's not. But <laughs> that person that knocks on your door one day, very well, you might want to look at whoever comes there and say, you know, that might be, that UPS man, he might be an angel. I'm going to be nice to him today. Anyway, I'm just joking. All right. So anyway, then the man rose from there. And I'm looking at verse number 16. Then the man rose from there, these three men, these three heavenly beings, the angel of the Lord and two angels, they had they had talked to Abraham, and now they rose from there and and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham follows them. I mean he I mean I don't blame him. He's, it's the angel of the Lord. He knows he's God, and he's and and, and he's probably figured out about now at this point that these are two angels. So he's going to follow them until they tell him to stop. So so uh, they looked toward Sodom, Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Now, they had come to Abraham to see Abraham for two purposes. One purpose was to get Sarah on board with the plan to have a child. Remember when they when she heard him over uh, t- when she heard the Lord talking to Abraham, she laughed. But then all of a sudden when the Lord told her, I heard you laugh, I think at this point she realized that hey, he's God. And later on when she sees that fire and brimstone coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah, she's going to know he's God and she's going to submit to Abraham and they're going to have this child Isaac. So, so that, the Lord had done his work there, but he's got other work to do. The second reason he came and made this visit to Abraham because he was about to judge Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at beginning now in verse number uh, 17. It says, And the Lord said to the angels, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I mean that I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the plain. Actually, more than just two cities were destroyed. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, I love this right here, verse number 19. For I have known him. That is that word. know there is the Hebrew word yada. It means something much more than just knowing facts about somebody. It's knowing somebody in an intimate relationship. People, it, when people, when when it, they, it says in the Bible that David knew the Lord or Moses knew the Lord, it doesn't mean that he, they just knew who he was and they had seen him. It means that they it means that they knew him in a intimate relationship, and so. The Lord says, I'm going to, should I tell Abraham because I know him in order that he, and I, and there's another purpose in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. In other words, I'm going to set an example here of judgment that comes upon the wicked and, and, and Abraham's going to see this happen. And he's going to know that, yes, I'm a God of mercy, but I'm also the judge of this earth and I'm going to judge uh, the wicked. And so we can trust that Abraham's going to tell his children. So, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham all the promises that he has spoken to him. Now, the Lord knew all along that he was going to tell Abraham. Uh, But he ask this rhetorical question to these angels for our benefit so we can understand the thought process that went on in the Lord's mind. Now, he's going to ask him, and he knows he's going to ask him. But before these angels even answer, he explains to him why he thinks it's a good idea to tell Abraham uh, uh, that he's about to, to, to destroy all of these cities on the Jordanian Plain. Well, one reason is that Abraham's a very important man to the human race. I mean, Adam was a very important man to the human race. Adam, the first Adam, fell, though, and he brought sin and death into the world. But through Abraham's seed was going to come the second Adam who was going to bring life and righteousness into the world, and he's going to come through Abraham. So he's a very important man. Uh... Uh, in God's plans and then he had a close relationship I've already mentioned that he had a close relationship with Abraham and Abraham had a close relationship with him I love the way James describes Abraham in in chapter 2 of the book of James he describes him as a friend of God what a tribute to Abraham that he was a friend of God and then as I said last week I don't think you could get a higher tribute than that. That's what I want in my life. I, don't, I want to be known by God and I want to know God. And that should be what you want in your life more than anything else in the world. It should be the most important thing in your life to know God and be, to be known by God. And since Abraham knew the Lord, the Lord knew that he could trust Abraham to explain his, what kind of judge he is that yes, he's merciful, yes, he's long-suffering, but at some point, he's serious about judging sin. He's serious about judging the wicked on this earth, And, and he knew that Abraham would pass this down to Isaac, and Isaac would pass it down to Jacob, and Jacob would probably mess up. God would have to help Jacob along, but eventually Jacob would pass it down to his 12 sons. Actually, at the end of Genesis, we'll see him actually doing that as he explains, as he prophesies over his sons, and he talks about the Lord and the Lord's judgment. Now, the reason for judgment, let's look at why God wanted to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse number 20. In verse number 20 it says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, they're going to be judged. They're going to be destroyed. Now, where was this outcry coming from? It wasn't coming from Sodom. Maybe Lot might have said, Lord, this is a wicked place. And you know what the Lord would have said to Lot? Get out of there. And He's going to have to drag him out of there. But but I I don't think Lot was listening. Lot had it too good. He was making a lot of money. He was sitting at the, at the judgment seat there in the gates of Sodom. And so he had a big position and everything. And so he, I don't think he was making any outcry. And, and I don't think the Sodomites were making any outcry. And the, and the people in Gomorrah weren't making any outcry. And the rest of those cities, they, just, they were godless and they could care less. And, and uh, you know, they handled their own, their own little world themselves and they didn't need God. So this outcry didn't come from earth, it came from heaven. It came in heaven. When all the angels saw how depraved Sodom and Gomorrah had become, they cried out. They cried out, Lord, when are you going to bring justice upon this very wicked city? And, And what was their sin? What was so grave about their sin? It was primarily sexual sin. I mean, they were the original sodomites. Now, you can figure that out if, uh, however you want to. But I can tell you, well, I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'm not going to get into that. But it was bad. We're going to see next week. And that's why we're giving this narrative, just to see how just God was in judging all these people, how wicked that city had become, that they would even want to have sexual relationships with angels. That's how sick they were. And we're not far from that today in the United States of America. And their perverse sexual activities were an abomination to the Lord. I mean, the Lord hated it. And it bothers me today in the progressive church how they say, well, that was back then. God has changed now. The God of the New Testament is different from the God of the Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The Lord says he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what was an abomination to the Lord in Abraham's day is an abomination to him in our day. But this sodomy that they were committing was only the tip of the iceberg. At the heart of their very grave sin was an even greater sin. And that was the sin of rebellion Against the Lord. And why did they rebel against the Lord? Because they hated the Lord. They hated his righteousness. They hated his just, justice. And so they had become corrupt, not just sexually. That's just the tip of the iceberg. They had become corrupt in every way. Every way. There's a lesson there. When you the depravity that we're seeing in our country today the sexual depravity, is just the tip of the iceberg. People who are sexually depraved are corrupt in every way. So I would never never vote for a person who's, actually I did in some way, But I shouldn't vote for a person who's sexually depraved because because they probably don't have character in any area of their life. And so that's what's true in Abraham's day is true in our day. So the Lord says, he says in verse number 21, he says, I will go down now and see whether or not they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come against them them to me. And if not, I will know. Well, you know, this is again an anthropomorphic way of explaining what God did. God knew how wicked they are. God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He sees all things. He hears all things. He's Elroy, the God who sees. He's Ishmael. The God who hears. So he he knew exactly what was going on here. But he gives this picture to us to show us in human terms the depth of his concern for this situation. I, I gotta believe he's at that point right now when he looks down on this world. It's very grave. And 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 he might Come to us today. I mean, he's not going to do that, but hypothetically, he might come to you and say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go down to 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 New York. I'm going to go up to New York, or I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to see and Chicago. And I'm going to see if these cities are as depraved as everybody's saying they are." Well, God already knows that, but for our benefit, He puts it in anthropomorphic terms, in human terms, so that we can we can we can see His heart and we can see His concern. Then look at verse number. 22, then the man, the two angels, turned away from there and went toward Sodom. And Abraham still stood before the Lord. Boy, there's Abraham. No angels now, just Abraham and the Lord. How'd you like to be in that position? You know you're in that position every time you go into your closet to pray. You might be on your knees, on your face. You might be standing. I don't think that position matters so much. Because you, in Christ, you have a right to stand before the Lord. You, you, stand, you stand boldly before the Lord, like, just like Abraham's going to do here. He's standing before the Lord all alone, him and the Lord. At, no, doubt at this po- at the, no doubt at this point, the Lord tells Abraham what he's going to do to these cities in the Jordanian plain. And i got to believe it immediately. What came to Abraham's mind when the Lord told him? Lot. Remember, Lot was like a son to him until uh, Ishmael came along, and later Isaac. I mean, he raised Lot. Lot was the son of Haran, his brother, and he died when, he was a young, when, when Lot was a young boy. And so he took Lot in uh, as his own child almost. And so as soon as as he realized that this judgment was coming, Lot comes to his mind. Now, this is some great lessons here on intercessory prayer. Because, friends, if you don't, can't see it, you're blind, judgment is coming soon. Who comes to your mind? Who do you want to plead for? I mean, he doesn't come out and say Lot, because he probably figured, man, Lot, man, he isn't living in Sodom and he is... You know, he's not as bad as the rest of those people, but he, he's probably gotten pretty bad at this point. So you can't say, well, Lot's just a great guy, but he, he, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna go to bat for Lot. And I, and all of this diatribe that he has with the Lord, it, it, all, it almost confronts the Lord boldly, challenges the Lord. He's taking that risk. I mean, the Lord could have struck him dead, and I think he realized that right there on the spot. But Abraham had already risked his life life for lot he had gone and fought the battle with those four kings with 400 soldiers against thousands of soldiers and 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 had won and rescued Lot. and lot went right back to sodom and he's in sodom now and he's there along with the lord and he challenges the lord boldly face to face uh in intercessory prayer now this isn't intercessory prayer like we consider intercessory prayer but when you talk to the lord it's prayer and he's interceding for this city. He's interceding for the righteous in this city, specifically for Lot. Look at verse number 23. And Abraham came near. Now the first thing you got to do in intercessory prayer is draw near to the Lord. You've got to draw near. The Bible tells us very clearly in a couple of places, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you to you now that was easy for abraham because abraham was face to face with the lord that's not now i say that was easy i don't know what would be tougher you know sometimes i can be bold because i'm talking in darkness in my closet and i'm not face to face with the lord so i don't know which is tougher i i I think to me i think it would be tougher i think the way we have to intercede is tougher Because it requires what? It requires faith. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we're told very clearly, it is impossible to please God without faith. Those who come to Him to intercede, to pray, to do whatever they want to do, must believe that He is who He says He is, that He's there. And He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And and, and you've got to be diligent to pray. You've got to be diligent to get in that closet and pray to a God you can't see. And it requires faith. So to me, in some ways, that's harder. It's harder for me because, because I have a weak faith, and be, because I don't can't see, and it's harder for me because I'm not getting a response like Abraham's gonna get, you know, an audible response uh, like he's getting. But anyway, he came near and said, and here's his question. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, that's a loaded question, and that's a bold question. You know, would you really be fair destroying the righteous with the wicked? I mean, even if there are tens of thousands, and there were, of wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and only a few righteous there, would it be right for you to destroy the righteous with the wicked? That doesn't seem fair. Now, that takes some boldness. That takes a lot of boldness to tell God he wasn't fair. But God understood. He understands that you and I are made of clay and dust. The Lord knows that. And so, so it's okay. If you, I, you know, I, God hates hypocrites. He would much rather you tell him what's on your heart boldly than to play games with him. And 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 he's bold here. He says he says, "Lord, what what you're what you're about to do doesn't seem fair to me." Now here's where his hypothesis was faulty because he didn't understand what it really means to be righteous in God's eyes. He didn't understand the depravity of human nature in relationship to the holiness of God. Now, he's a new believer. In God's eyes, how many are righteous on their own? None. Lot wasn't righteous on his own. Lot was a righteous man, the Bible tells us. We're told that in First or 2 Peter. He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man because he was a believer. Abraham believed that it was accounted him for righteousness. But But... His hypothesis is: was I believe that there's that hey, here are these people and they're engaged in all sorts of idolatry and sodomy and sexual perversion and 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 they're they're bad. But there's some people there that aren't that bad. You hear that today? I mean, there's a lot of you know that's where we got to be real careful putting down people that are sexually perverted because they can get saved too. You might not have been sexually perverted before you were saved, but you were perverted in some ways. And if you hadn't seen that yet, you ain't been saved yet. Because the Holy Spirit convicts you of those perversions you have. And you're saved. And so all of us need faith the righteousness that comes through faith. But there's none righteous. No, not one. We're told in Romans chapter 3 and Psalms 14. So. A just God is right. In fact, you could go so far as to say it is his duty to destroy us all. Every unrighteous person. I mean, you could go so far as to say that. Because if you bring unrighteousness into heaven, heaven is no longer holy. That's where people have this fallacy that thinks somehow life just going to go on just like I've been living it here on earth when I get to... Heaven, well, you're not going to get to heaven if you're not born again and you're not made righteous. You're not going to make it. And, and now go to verse number 20, 24. He, he's going to make his case now. He's going to, he's going to develop his case specifically here. He's, he says to the Lord, suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place And not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it. Forbid from you. To do such a thing as this. To slay the righteous with the wicked. Isn't that bold? So that the righteous should should be as the wicked. Forbid from you. He says it again. Shall not the judge of the whole earth. Do right. Now abraham was young in his faith we got to give him credit there so in his mind to be righteous meant you were a pretty good person yeah we say that all the time he's a pretty good person or and we might even say he's a good person but really in the back of our mind say we, we got to say he's a pretty good person that guy's a good person and 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 uh, so there were pretty good people there in his mind there, especially Lot. Again, he's thinking of Lot. So there's got to be at least 50 pretty good people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it wouldn't seem fair to destroy those pretty good people along with those really, really wicked people. That's the way he's looking at it. And he says here, and, and man, this is one of those mountaintop verses too, Uh he says, you are the judge of the whole earth. Now, now, he was faulty, give him credit here, he was faulty in his understanding about the absolute holiness of God and the, the, the depravity of mankind. But, but, man, he was right uh, in his belief that God was the judge of the whole earth because he knew the Lord is his creator. And the creator of the earth, i got to believe, has the right to judge his creation, Right? I mean, only common sense, I mean, common sense will tell you that. That's all you need to figure that out. But there are very few people on this earth that understand that principle today. You ask any American on the street corner here in the United States of America who has the ultimate authority over the judgment of this country, who would they tell you? The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court. But I got news for the Supreme Court. They are not the highest authority in the land. When they rule in favor of abortion like they did last week, in favor of transgender bathrooms like they did last week, Now they, by not ruling, they ruled in favor of those things when they rule in favor of homosexual bears and I'm not good as I'm not picking on homosexuals today when they rule in favor of anything immoral when they rule in favor of taking every vestige of the Lord out of the public arena when they do that they aren't the final authority over that judgment the Lord is the judge of the whole earth he's the final authority And he has not and never will abdicate his throne. He sits on his throne now. And his judgments are going to be measured out based upon what is right in his eyes and not what is right in the eyes of the human courts. And God... The God I'm talking about is not the God of the religious progressives. He is the God of this Bible, just exactly the way he's presented himself in this Bible. Anything you want to know about God that you can know about God is right here in the pages of this book. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's not changing. And so eventually... Everyone and everything is going to be judged based upon not human courts, but based upon God's court, which is based upon biblical truth. But with all of that said, God is so merciful and so loving and so long-suffering as the judge of his court. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. And and you see that now in this diatribe as we go on, picking up in verse number 26. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for, for their sakes. Now, he's not being technical here. He's not saying 50 people of faith, not 50 people of of absolute perfect righteousness given to them by Jesus Christ. That's not what he, he's not being technical. If I can find 50 pretty good people, Abraham, I, I, he's thinking in Abraham's terms and he's speaking to him in Abraham's terms. If there were just 50 pretty good people that hadn't turned themselves over to total depravity, that had some chance of being saved, he says, then, then I would spare the place for their sakes. That is a merciful God a merciful god there are a lot of cities and a lot of places being spared in this world right now because there's a few people there that god knows that one day some of his one of his 99 are one of the ones that are lost of his 100 sheep and he leaves the 99 and he's going after those sheep and that's why he's sparing those cities and that's why he's sparing this world right now to find that lost sheep in that place and and so That's that's why you see his mercy. And then Abraham answered in verse number 27 and said, Indeed, now, I who am but dust and ashes. This good uh, description of yourself, Abraham. That's the way we need to approach God. I mean, Lord, I know I'm stepping out of line here. You're God, and I'm dust and ashes. And I have taken it upon myself to speak To the Lord, I I know, Lord, I'm being bold here. Is what He's saying. Suppose there were, so He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to argue a little more here. Suppose there were five less than fifty righteous. Those of you that aren't mathematicians, that's (laughs) forty-five. Suppose there were were five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So He said. If I find there, the Lord's a good mathematician, 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So the Lord said to him, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. Then he said to the Lord, and then he said, "Let not the Lord be angry." He's got to figure, man. I'm really pushing God here at this point. You ever do that in your prayers, where you get in there and things don't seem fair in your life, and you, you and, and you spill it out to the Lord? I've done it. I've done it. I did it last week. I do it a lot. And 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 I and I know God can strike me dead at any moment. And I I know that He's merciful. And I and I I. Take advantage of that. Just like Abraham takes advantage of that. I mean, maybe one day you hear about this, Brenda finding a bunch of ashes in my closet, then then you know what happened. I don't know how far you can push the Lord, but he wants you to be real with him. And Abraham's being real with him. Lord, please don't be angry with me. I know I'm pushing you. And I will speak, suppose 30, Lord, should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. So, again, he's saying, I'm being bold here, Lord. I know I'm speaking to God. Suppose 20 should be found there. And the Lord said to him, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. The Lord is so good. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's so merciful. You can put that on numbers of a a city. You can put that on your own life. I mean, Lord, suppose I was just righteous just a little bit. That I had just a little bit of faith in Jesus Christ. Just a little bit. You know what Jesus would say to you? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. If you have just a little faith, I'm going to make you righteous. If your faith is in the right place, if the object of your faith is the right person, I'm going to save you because of my mercy. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. Now, Lot had put his little family together. He had ten people there, plus all his servants. And I think at this point, Abraham's thinking, I've saved Lot. Lot's not going to be spared, and his family's going to be spared. Well, his family, all his family's not going to be spared We're going to see that later on because Lot had been living wickedly and his children had gotten even more wicked than him and they're not going to want to leave Sodom. Only four of them are going to leave Sodom. Lot and his wife and his two daughters and his wife's going to look back and she's going to be destroyed because her heart was still in Sodom. That's why Jesus says, beware of Lot's wife. Make sure when you pull out of this evil world and God calls you out by faith that you don't look back, keep looking back, wishing you were back in the world. So the Lord went his way back to heaven. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place in Hebron. Oh, man, do you see all the great lessons right here that we learn about the Lord, his judicial system, about intercessory prayer? I mean, look at the riches of the mercy of the Lord that you see in this passage. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, his mercies are new every morning. I mean, I have no doubt that the condition of Sodom broke the Lord's heart. He wasn't like, wow, I can't wait to judge these people. Can't wait to destroy them all. His heart was broken, just like his heart was broken when he looked out over Jerusalem and knew they were about to be judged. He doesn't want to destroy anybody. He has so much mercy, he gives everybody as much chance as they possibly can get. If he thinks there's any chance in heaven, any chance in this world that they can get saved, that they will repent, then he's going to keep suffering with them long. But at some point in his mercy, I mean, they start doing things to their own children that they did among themselves. Some point in his mercy, he destroys them because there's no hope for them. There was no hope for the people in Sodom. Because he's long-suffering. He wishes that none should perish. All should come to eternal life. If just 10 of them would have turned to the Lord, the Lord wouldn't have destroyed the city. That's what the Lord was saying. He he wouldn't have destroyed it, but just 10 of them would have turned to the Lord, but only four of them turned to the Lord. Now, let, let me tell you another lesson we learned from all of this. In the end times, there is going to be a rapture. If you don't believe in the rapture, you're in essence calling God a liar. Because over and over again in this passage, what he is saying here is, I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And when the great tribulation comes, God is going to, protect his remnant in Israel and he's going to dis- and protect whatever tribulation saints are there, but he is not going to destroy them with the wicked. He's not going to destroy us with the wicked. He's going to pull us out of here before he begins pouring out his wrath on this earth because there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus in Christ Jesus. We are not under wrath and he will do not destroy the wicked, the righteous rather with the wicked. Now, here we see God, and, all, and, all, and you look at all we've been looking at in the last few weeks, and what have we learned about God? He's the judge of all the earth, but he's a loving judge. He's a long-suffering judge. He wishes that we, none should perish, that all should come to eternal life, a wonderful life the wonderful life that He wants to give us, an abundant life, an everlasting life. That's the heart of the Lord. But He is also a just judge. And eventually, contrary to what progressive Christians believe, God is going to destroy the wicked and everything wicked on this earth. And that begins with those who reject Jesus Christ. That's who God is. That's his judicial system. Whether you like it or not. Whether you believe it or not. He is the judge of the whole earth. Years ago I had a neighbor and I was walking out in the neighborhood one day. And he came out to meet me, a really nice guy. He came out to meet me and we had a nice conversation. He asked me what I did for a living, and I said I was a pastor. He said, Oh, that's great. And he said, What are you pastor? And I told him Calvary Chavez. He said, What do y'all what how do y'all what do y'all teach there? I said, We teach the Bible, verse by verse, through the Bible. He said, and he told me, he said, Well, I'm a usher and a leader in one of the Protestant denominations here and and uh one of the mainstream Protestant denominations here in Lafayette, and he said he said, uh, but I'm not really satisfied with the church. And he said, he said uh, I'd be interested in coming to hear what you have to say. And I said, well, come do that sometime. Sure enough, the next Sunday morning, he showed up here, right here at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. And uh, we just happened to be in the middle of Revelation in the bowls of judgment. And the whole time I was preaching through those chapters, those couple of chapters, after I was trying to get through them as fast as I could, you know, because I don't like sitting on judgment either, he was paying attention. He wasn't bored, but he was angry. He was angry that I would stand in the pulpit and preach about the final judgment of mankind. And as soon as the sermon was over, I went back to Grab him, ask him how he liked it, and see what was going on. Man, he darted out of the room, went back to the neighborhood, I guess, and back to his church. And every time after that, I saw him in the neighborhood, he would run inside. He didn't want to talk to me. He hated me, I guess. And all I did was preach the Bible. Verse by verse, just like we do every Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. Now listen, I love to talk about grace. I'm a grace person. I have a passion for the Lord. I love the Lord because he's shown me so much grace. I know how loving the Lord is. I know how long-suffering the Lord is. Because I've experienced it in my own personal life. I love the Lord so much because he's so good. He's so long-suffering, long-suffering and so merciful. And, and the gospel is good news. And I love to share the gospel. Much more than I like to talk about judgment. But you can't leave that part out. Because people need to be warned. The judgment... For sinners and wickedness is coming. And it's coming soon. Because God is just. And he, the Lord is the judge of the whole earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We, we thank you for your, 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 the fact that you are just. Lord, we've seen what we've done as human beings to this world and what our unrighteousness and wickedness has done in this world. Lord, we long for a world where we're all made righteous, where wickedness is totally removed from this earth. And from Lord, I know it doesn't have to be removed in heaven because there is no wickedness in heaven. There are no wicked people in heaven. Only the redeemed are in heaven, the angels, and you, Lord, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Your justice, Lord, and your judgments are true and right and perfect and loving and kind, and we thank you for that. We thank you that by your grace, you've made us righteous and made us fit for the kingdom of God. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when every thought, every, every feeling, everything we have in our being is righteous. And it can only be that way through the great grace that we receive when Jesus Christ shed his blood and died for us. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.